0: Sunday. I'm just curious for the regulars. Would you raise your hand? That's very good. Anybody else visiting like I am today? <laughs> would you raise your hand? Good. Well, you know, when you're the guest preacher, you don't know who belongs and who doesn't. But I'm thrilled to see all of you. I love your pastor and his wife and their spirit and uh, happy to see what God is doing in this church. It's a great thing. I see them taking all the children out of the room. That means they're taking all the fun out of the place. And uh, I may just go with them, you know. Uh, but it's great to, great to see boys and girls here today. You know, all of you brought children and grandchildren and neighbor kids. That's just outstanding. Well, if you were in the Sunday school hour, you know where in the Bible we're going. We're going in the Old Testament to a book that I think very few people know much about. But it is God's message to us today, and it is the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> so would you find, please, the book of Jeremiah this morning. And We were in Jeremiah chapter 15. <clears throat> I'd like you to find Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah's in a mess. You ever been in a mess? He's looking at a country that is just out of control. Sound familiar? And uh, judgment is impending. The chastening of God is coming. He's weeping over it, mourning over it, broken over it, trying to preach the truth, trying to get people to turn to God. And in the midst of all of that darkness, God sends light. In the midst of despair, there is hope. Would you look me in the eye just for a moment? Let me tell you something. I know the country's in a mess, the world's in a mess, and maybe your life's in a mess, but I want you to know that God is still God and nothing is too hard for our God. I must warn you, I must warn you that when I finish preaching in just a few minutes, I intend to ask everybody in this room to respond this morning. And if you say, well, I'm not responding, then you've already responded. And if you say, well, I don't know how to respond, you'll know. In fact, I'm going to ask every person under the sound of my voice to join me in one of two prayers before we leave this room. And I'm going to tell you why that is, because you can't hear from God and not talk back to him. You can't see what God has to say to us and then not have some response. I want you to listen with an open heart this morning, ready to receive what God has for you. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse... Number 16, Jeremiah says, Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Time out just a minute, look at me. The only person you can pray to is the Lord. No preacher can answer your prayers. Uh, Your grandmother may be the greatest Christian that ever lived. (laughs) Your daddy may be just a godly man, but there's nobody on earth that can answer your prayers but the Lord. Right. A friend of mine was in Rome not long ago, and he was touring through those cathedrals looking at all the architecture, and he said, Scott, he it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. He said, I came into a church, and he said they've had so much perverseness and that kind of thing, wickedness, going on that now the, the confessional booths in those Catholic churches are not closed off. There's no door on them, no curtain on them. He said, so there's dividers still between the priest and the, the prisoner, but he said, everybody can see in. And he said, I'm walking through this cathedral and I'm looking at all the architecture. And he said, I looked over in one of the confessional booths and he said, there was a woman distraught. He said, he could see her, her face was stained with tears and she was, she was speaking out of emotion, out of her heart, trying to figure out some way to have her sins forgiven. And he said, she couldn't see, but I could see. He said, on the other side of that petition, There was the priest with his head laid back against the wall completely asleep. And he said, I thought to myself, what a picture of what religion can do. That's what religion does. No man can do for you what only God can do for you. So stop trying to find somebody to make your life a little better and go straight to the only one who can do something about it, and that's the Lord. He prays to the Lord. And look what he says, verse 17. Ah, Lord God. You see that word ah it's a lot like oh. Do <laughs> you remember oh in the Sunday school hour? It's heart level praying. This is not just saying words over your food or words where you go to bed at night. This is this is a deep prayer to God. Ah Lord God. Look at the exclamation point. You can tell a lot about a man by what he gets worked up about. Ah Lord God. Behold thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and, I love this, there is nothing too hard for thee. Now show us loving kindness unto thousands, and recompense the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Look, do you see how he goes all the way back to the beginning and he says God's the creator. He spoke it all into existence. He just said it and it was so. Let me tell you how you got here. God made the world. Then he fast forwards to the end and he says the creator is not only the creator, he is the judge. So the one that gave you breath and put you on earth and gave you life is the one at the end you're going back to meet and you're going to answer to God for. The creator is the judge. Sandwiched between the beginning and the end, there's an expression here that connects to the present. Now I love this. I want you to underline the last statement in verse number 17. There is nothing too hard for thee. Would you read it out loud with me? You have it in front of you. Jeremiah 32, verse number 17. Let's read just the last statement. Ready? There is nothing too hard for thee. Say it again, would you please? There is nothing too hard for thee. Read it to the person next to you. Ready? There is nothing too hard. Now, you can preach better than that. Get your preaching finger out and point at that center. Let's go. Ready? Here we go. There is nothing too hard for thee. Did you know the older I get, the longer I live, the weaker I am? Isn't that a funny thing? When you're young, starting out. Our youngest just graduated from high school. And uh, when you're young and starting out, man, you can get it all done, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it happen, force your way through life, you're, you're strong, And the longer you live, the more you realize that really you're nothing. But it's okay. Because the Lord's everything. And there is nothing too hard for him. And this is fascinating to me. You still got your Bible? Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. In verse number 17, he makes this statement to God. Look across the page at verse 26 and 27 because God responds back to him. I love this. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah. See, when you talk to God, God will talk back. When you really pray, get a hold of the Lord, God will answer your prayers. So the Lord speaks to him saying, look at verse 27, behold, I am the Lord. He said, you're right. The God of all flesh. That's right, I'm the creator and I'm the judge. And would you read aloud with me, please, the last statement? It's a question to the end of verse 27. Ready? Is there anything too hard for me? Would you connect verse 17 to verse 27 in your Bible and in your thinking? Jeremiah says, there's nothing too hard for thee. And God answers back and asks this rhetorical question. Is there anything too hard for me? Let me ask you a question. Why would God ask a question that Jeremiah had already given the answer to? The answer is to remind him. In fact, did you know that the principle that is found twice in Jeremiah chapter 32 is actually found in three other passages of Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament? Let me tell you something about God. When God repeats himself in Scripture, it is never because he forgot he said it the first time. No, no. When God repeats himself in Scripture, it is because there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said In other words, God's repetition is God's emphasis. Can I tell you what the Holy Scripture is about? Everybody look up here. Let me tell you what the Bible is about. Let me pull the whole thing down for you. You are weak, but God is strong. You're a sinner, but God is holy. You are undeserving, but God is merciful. You're ignorant, but God is wise. You're incapable, but God is able. Paul would later write to the church at Corinth and say, who is sufficient for these things? And he answered in the next chapter, our sufficiency is of God. Let me let you in a little secret. You're not enough. You're not enough. We give young people an education. We try to pump them up. Say, you're enough, buddy. You can do it. You can make it happen. You can get it done. And then people hit a wall. I'm going to tell you why that is, because there's an end to you, but there is no end to our God. And somewhere, somewhere you're going to have to come to the end of yourself, but the end of you is the beginning of him. Let me tell you when people get saved. Would you like to know when people really get saved? They don't get saved when they get baptized. They don't get saved when they join the church. They don't get saved when they try a little harder to be a little better. They get saved when they finally acknowledge that they're a sinner and they cannot save themselves and they confess that Jesus is the only way of salvation. You know why that is? Because at that moment they've said to the Lord, Lord, I know I'm a hard case there is nothing too hard for you. Let me tell you, when people finally who've been running from God come back to the Lord, when they stop fighting against God and stop making excuses and stop blaming everybody else and stop putting it off to another day and say, you know what, I'm just going to trust and believe today there's nothing too hard for God. So Lord, I'm bringing all my mess to you and just believing you are more than enough. Look, either God is all-powerful or he isn't, and you're going to have to choose whether you believe this or not. When God asked, is there anything too hard for me, he wasn't looking for information. This question is not for information. This question is a revelation. God was saying, you're exactly right. There is nothing too hard for me. And I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I'm looking at a bunch of people this morning. I don't know you, and you don't know me. But I know this. We're all a bunch of sinners, black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners. We all got our junk And everybody's got their stuff they're dealing with. And everybody has things in their family and things with life that they wish they could figure out or fix. But there's some things you can't understand and some things you can't change. But here's what you can do. You can bring yourself and bring your stuff into the presence of a God who is more than enough and confess that there is nothing too hard for our God. Would you look at your neighbor just a second? Everybody turn and stare at your neighbor a second. You're not allowed to look at me, all right? If you sat next to the wrong person, that's your fault, not mine. So look at them just a second. I want you to ask them the question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Would you ask them right now, is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, no. I want you to ask them like you mean it. Look, And, and look, I want the person that you asked to give an answer. There's nothing too hard for God. Ready? Here we go. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer, church? There is nothing too hard for our God. By the way, did you know this is a lesson you've got to keep learning all through life? When I was just a boy, a lady took a Bible like the one you have in front of you and explained to me that God loved me, Jesus died for me, and Jesus rose from the dead. That was the day, that was the day that I finally said to Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Now, bells didn't ring, lights didn't flash, I didn't feel funny all over. I didn't see some vision in the sky. You know what I did? I just took God at his word. And God kept his word. I'm testifying now, 41 years later, you know what I'm learning again and again every day? That there is nothing too hard for God. Look, please, if God's big enough to keep you out of hell, he's big enough to deal with whatever you're dealing with here. If you can trust him for a heaven you have never seen, then you can trust him for whatever's staring you in the face right now. There is nothing too hard for our God. May I show you the other places in Scripture quickly, and then I'll be done. Go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible to the book of Genesis, would you? Because this is actually the first time where this statement is found in Scripture. In Genesis chapter number 21, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, everybody remember Abraham and Sarah? They would become the father of many nations, but specifically the father of God's chosen nation, the people of Israel. And it was miraculous because God told them they were going to have a baby. Now, that doesn't sound like much to you. But it's pretty big because Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Our oldest daughter's 24 and Morgan's expecting our first grandchild in August. We're excited about it. I'm going to be a papa. Can you believe that? I'm trying to figure out what my wife's going to be called. We're not sure yet. Her name's Tammy. I voted for Grammy Tammy, but she said no. So we're trying to think of something else. you've got any suggestions, we're open to it. All right. I tell you, a baby coming in itself is miraculous. Let me tell you what's really miraculous. Have you ever heard of a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife having a baby? Wait, wait, wait. There's nothing too hard for our God. Look at Genesis chapter number 21, verse number 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born in him. Everybody see that? Go back a few pages in your Bible to Genesis 18. Let me show you where it all started. Remember, everything God says, he's going to do. But look at Genesis 18. God said you're going to have a baby. And look at verse number 12 of Genesis 18. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And before you criticize Sarah, let me just tell you, if you were a 90-year-old woman, you'd laugh too. And before we pick on Sarah, back up one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 17, verse 17. When Abraham first heard it, look what Abraham did. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. It sounded like everybody's laughing to me. So Abraham's laughing. Sarah's laughing. God, you've got to be kidding. You're joking. We're going to have a baby at this point? There's got to be another way. Go back to Genesis 18. Verse number 13, the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I have a surety, bear a child which am old? And everybody read with me Genesis eighteen fourteen. Ready? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Does that sound familiar to anybody? May I answer in the words of Jeremiah, there is nothing too hard for our God. Keep reading. At the time appointed, I'll return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I love verse 15. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid, and he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. Can I just recommend something to you? Don't lie to the God who already knows. Sarah said, I didn't laugh. The Lord said, yes, you did. People say, I'm not a sinner. The Lord says, yes, you are. People say, I can figure this out. The Lord says, no, you can't. The Lord knows everything there is to know about us, but here's the first little principle. Would you write this down? From Genesis chapter number 18, we learn that God is able in the midst of our perplexities. God's going to let things come into your life you can't figure out. You can't straighten it out. You can't change it. You can't even work it out on paper, but listen to me. When you can't understand, oh, I love this. When you can't produce, God can't. When you can't work it up and when you can't work it out, God is able. By the way, can I just show you something before we leave Genesis? Go back to Genesis 21 for just a second. This is after they have the baby. <laughs> Look at verse number six. I love this. Genesis 21, verse six. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Everybody remember in chapter 18, she laughed of her own. By the time he get to Genesis 21, Sarah laughs. And God makes her to laugh. How many of you remember when your child was born? Would you raise your hand? Anybody? Yeah. Do you remember holding that baby in your hand, and you laughed and looked at it and, and said, it's the be- most beautiful baby that was ever born." It really wasn't, but you said it was. You know, every baby's cute, at least in their mama and daddy's eyes. And we laugh and we we coo and we play with the baby. But this is more than the laughter of a mama. This is a 90-year-old woman holding her own baby in her hands and she starts laughing because she remembers God said this was going to happen. Watch, please. God changed the laughter of unbelief to the laughter of worship. God changed the laughter of uncertainty into the laughter of confidence. Only God can do that, but God can because nothing is too hard for our God. So I don't know what perplexity is staring you in the face. I just know this. God's greater than that. Yes, then go back to Jeremiah 32. What do we learn from the passage we started in? Well, Genesis teaches that the Lord, there's nothing too hard for the Lord in our perplexities. Jeremiah 32 teaches us that there's nothing too hard for the Lord as we pray. Because Jeremiah 32 is a prayer. Let me tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you always get what you ask for. Have any of you lived long enough to be glad God didn't always answer your prayers the way you wanted? You know, sometimes we pray for things we don't even know what we're asking for. We don't know what's best. We think we do. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean things are always going to work out the way you want them to. Did you know Jeremiah's city still fell and burned? That's right. Did you know his nation still went into captivity? Did you know in the next book of the Bible, Lamentations, Jeremiah would sit outside the city and weep again, and this time he would weep over the funeral of his own hometown? That's pretty rough. You listen to me. When you pray, you don't always get your way, but you discover that God is more than enough in the midst of all of that. In the midst of your despair there is hope. In the midst of your sadness there is joy. In the midst of your difficulty, there is the divine resources. Would you hear me with your heart for just a moment? Things are going to change. Your body's going to change. Anybody live in that dream? And it's not always for the better either. Your family's going to change. Him and I are on the verge of the empty nest. Pray for my wife. Would you please? She's got to put up with me all the time. Life changes. Finances change. Economies ebb and flow. Money comes and goes. Anybody in that dream? Let me tell you something glorious in the word. In a changing world, we have an unchanging God. He's the same. You want want an anchor in the storm? You want a foundation you can build on? You want something that doesn't go up and down, in and out, on and off, hot and cold all the time? You want to stop living on the roller coaster? Let me tell you how. You build your life on Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As you pray, look please, you may not get your way, but you'll get God. And if you'll get God, you'll have more than enough. Do you see what he does? Look at Jeremiah 32 and verse 17 and 18 and 19 for just a second. He rehearses all the attributes of God, the character of God, the nature of God. Do you see the power of God in verse 17? Do you see the loving kindness of God in verse 18? Do you see the greatness and mighty work of God at the end of verse number 18? Do you see his word and his work in verse 19? Do you see his eyes looking everywhere in verse 19? You know what this man's doing? He's reminding himself that while everything is shifting and some things are disappearing, there is a God and God is where he's always been seated on the throne of the universe and God is always the same. There is nothing too hard for our God. Footnote to the story, the captivity of the nation and the burning of the city was not the last chapter. They would come back. And the city would be rebuilt. Matter of fact, I was just in Jerusalem a few months ago. I stood there in the place, looked at the old city walls and the rebuilt temple and thought to myself, or the rebuilt temple mount at least, the temple's not there, but the mount is where they they would worship, and thought to myself that God, look please, there's cycles and seasons to life, but God is the eternal God that in every time is always the same. There is nothing too hard for our God. Let me show you the third time. Go with me to the New Testament now. Those two are in the Old Testament. Go to Luke chapter one. This is the story of the angel coming to Mary and saying, not only are you gonna have a baby, but this baby is gonna be virgin born. You know, it's funny, on this side of it, we say, oh yeah, we know Jesus was a virgin born, a son of God, but can you imagine living through that? Never before, never since has it happened. It's miraculous, this is the power of God. Look at Luke chapter one. He's just told Mary, You're going to have a baby. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? I wish I could read that like she said it. (laughs) How on earth? seeing I know not a man. She said, I'm engaged, but I'm not married, and I've never been with Joseph. How on earth am I going to have a baby? Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. I love that. Look, please, overshadow. Well, some people live under the shadow of their sin, and some people live under the shadow of circumstances, and some people live under the shadow of other people. Well, wouldn't it be great if you could live under the shadow of Almighty God? overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. See, this wasn't just any baby. This was God's only begotten Son. Look at verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. We know that was John the Baptist. So you've got John and Jesus both experiencing coming now in the mother's wombs, And everybody read Luke one thirty seven out loud with me. Ready, church? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Read it again, please. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Would you underline the word nothing? It's the same word, it's all-encompassing, but it's the same word for no word. In other words, no word that God says will not be fulfilled. That's why I look at verse 38. She says, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. She said, Yes, Lord. Would you write this down? We learn that nothing is too hard for God in life's perplexities. We learn it as we pray. And number three, we learn it when we participate. You know why some people never see the power of God? Because they never say yes to God they sit around all their life waiting on God to send a lightning bolt from heaven and change something, but they've never yielded to God themselves. You listen to me. Mary would never have seen what God had for her if she had not submitted herself and said yes to the Lord. Get off the bench and get in the game. Get off the side of the pool and get out in the deep water. You'll see God. When you cooperate with the eternal purpose of God, you will witness the great power of God. You want to see God be God in you? Then you must say yes to him. As you believe the Lord and put your faith in him, you'll see the power of God. As you obey the Lord, you'll see the power of God. As you exalt the Lord Jesus as Mary was going to do, you'll see the power of God. Stop being a spectator and become a participant. At some point, even Mary had to say yes. Would you listen just for a second? See, some people have this idea that God's going to hit them in the head with a baseball bat and drag them by the hair of the head through the, through the city and really get their attention, and they're going to have some great experience, and suddenly, boom, you know, God's going to be big in their life. God didn't work that way. Let me tell you about God. God is the ultimate gentleman. He doesn't kick the door down, barge into your life, and take over. He stands at the door and knocks, and he waits Mary. Mary, he's waiting for you to open the door. And when you open the door and say yes to the Lord, Lord, you can do with my life whatever you want. Yes, I'm yours. At that moment, you begin to see there is nothing too hard for our God. If I had time, I'd walk you through the rest of the chapter. You know what there is? Joy. A whole lot of Joy. See, we're living in a world that wants the product without the process. Some of you, you want the joy without faith and the joy without obedience. I want you to know, you don't get joy by trying to have joy. The most miserable people I know are people trying to be happy. God gives you his joy when you say yes to the Lord Jesus. When you acknowledge there's nothing too hard for him. You say, oh, preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but there's nothing too hard for the Lord. You say, yeah, preacher, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. No, I don't, but I, I do know this. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He said, yeah, but but you don't know the person I'm trying to work things out with. No, no, I don't, but I know this. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Either God is God or he's not. If he's not, let's close our Bible, shut the church down, let's all go home. I'm wasting my breath and you're wasting your time. But if God is still on the throne of the universe, still has every hair on your head numbered, knows you by name, knows your frame and remembers that you're dust, knows exactly where you live and the deepest needs of your life, if God is still God, then somebody's got to believe again that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. I'll show you the last one and we'll be done. Go back a few pages to Matthew chapter 19 because chronologically, this is the last time we find this principle and now it's in Jesus' own words. How, How about that? In his own teaching to his disciples. Isn't it wonderful how God gives us all these passages and connects them in his word? Look at Matthew 19, beginning in verse 23. A young man had just come to see him. By the way, I'm glad to see all the young men and young women in this room today. It's wonderful. But I want you young people to listen to me for just a minute. I want you to know something. You won't be young forever. And the earlier in life you say yes to Jesus, the better off your whole life is going to be. And every generation has to come to know God for themselves. Everybody in this room, nobody can trust God for you, obey God for you. It's got to be you. And a young man came to Jesus and he had a good conversation with Jesus but he went away sorrowful because he refused to yield himself entirely to Christ. He wanted to hang on to what he loved. Hmm. Look at Matthew chapter 19 verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say it's impossible. In fact, he's getting ready to teach them it's not impossible. But look at me just a minute. He's telling them it's very hard for people like that to come to Christ. You know why that is? Watch, please. Listen, please. Because as long as you are consumed with what you have, you'll never have what he has. You know the problem with rich people? They think, I got this. And as long as you think you have it, you don't have him. Amen. See, until you're willing to humble yourself and honestly confess who you are and what your need is, you never enter in to the true riches, the spiritual riches, the eternal riches that only Jesus Christ can give. So it's not impossible. No, it's possible. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But I want you to know, as long as you're self-sufficient, as long as you're full of you, you can't be full of God. Amen. Look at verse 25, his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? In other words, if, if, if good people like this can't be saved, who on earth can be saved? And look at Jesus' answer, verse number 26, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, would you read it with me aloud? With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see both sides of the coin? Man's inability and God's ability. I want you to write this down, please. If in Genesis we learn that nothing is too hard for our God in life's perplexities, and in Jeremiah we learn nothing's too hard for God as we pray, and in Luke we learn that nothing's too hard for God when we obey, would you write this one down? In Matthew 19 we learn that nothing is too hard for God as long as it's according to his purpose. Do you understand the context of Matthew 19? People getting saved. See, I've heard people talk about God's power and try to use God's power to get from God what they want. You listen to me very carefully. God is not a slot machine for you to use for your pleasure. He's not your Mr. Fix-It that you call 911 just when you get in trouble. This is not for your purpose, it's for his purpose. God doesn't exist so you can have a nicer life. It's not about your comfort and your convenience. Let me tell you why God is at work in this world right now. God is at work in this world right now to bring every person he possibly can to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's what you're going to discover. There is not a single soul that is beyond the reach of God's mercy. Only God can save, but praise God, he can save anybody. On our family farm there outside of Beckley, The old home place where my grandparents lived for all those years. It's where my cousin lives now. Ryan and I grew up together, he's younger than me, intelligent, gifted, capable. Several years ago, while I was still living in Tennessee, Ryan got away from God. He got on drugs. Wife got on drugs. Have two boys, beautiful young boys. Lovely family, and drugs just began to rob them of everything. when I moved back to West Virginia, he was not the same he was not the same person that I'd grown up with, even when we get together, we weren't really together. You know what I'm talking about. He was there, but he really wasn't there. He was a shell, broke my heart. I drive by his house repeatedly. Every time I'd drive by, I'd pray, "Oh God, please get his attention, Lord. Please do something in his life." His mother died a few months ago. She'd been praying. Somehow, God get a hold of him. And I'm just going to be honest with you: I, it had gotten to the place where I thought he, he, he'll never be the same. He, he's never coming back. He's going to destroy his life. He's going to show up dead somewhere, and those boys are going to grow up without really a Christian daddy, and it's awful. It was a sad spot in life. And and one of those things, honestly, I just thought was beyond hope. You ever seen that? I was preaching in Ohio and I got a phone call. This has been maybe a year ago now. His wife and Angie said, you've got to help us. We've got to have help. She said, we can't live this way anymore. I went by the house and talked and And Ryan said to me, he said, Scott, he said, I'm going to get clean and get right. He said, either that or I'm going to die. Weeks and weeks and weeks and the withdrawal, it it was awful. Worst thing I'd ever seen. I was running out on our farm one day, running through the woods, and I got a phone call, and it was Ryan. He said, Scott, I'm home by myself. He said, would you mind coming by? I'm having a hard time. I went by, and he was sitting on the front porch blanket over him, Bible in his hand, shaking so violently he could not focus, couldn't read it. He handed me the Bible and he said, would you mind just reading the Bible to me? He said, I just I need to hear the Bible. And I sat there through my tears just reading the Bible, him sitting there shaking, listening. And all the while I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make it through this. When it comes out the other side, what's this going to look like? I dropped my son in our home church this morning. He was working a bus route this morning. And I was pulling out of the church, leaving. And there was a car pulling in early, early this morning, coming to work on a bus route. It was my cousin. His wife, their two boys. Got to get a hold of them. They all got right with the Lord. They started not just coming to church. (laughs) They're there every service. I flew back into town on Wednesday and went to our church Wednesday night. They were having Bible school. Guess who was there working? Whole family. There's life in his face again. There's light in his eyes. My sister said to me, Scott, we got we got our, our cousin back. I said, Yeah. And we didn't just get him back. He's better than before. I say to you, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus in John 15 say, without me, without me, you can do nothing. Not a little bit. Nothing. Oh, but with Christ, there's joy. There's answered prayer. There's fruit, more fruit, much fruit and fruit that remains. Mm -hmm. Because there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me around the room for a moment? Would you sit quietly just for a second without any music or movement? I'd like you to close your eyes so tightly you can't see anybody around you for a moment. First, because I don't want to embarrass anyone. I'm not into that. And second, because I want you to imagine that there's nobody here in this room but you and Jesus for a minute. Not me, not the person you came with, not the people you're seated next to, just you and Jesus. That is exactly how it will be someday. Someday you will meet the Lord face to face, the judge of all the earth, give an account of your life. What if that were today? What would he say of your life today? What would you say to him? May I ask a question or two? I'd like to ask you to be an honest person, and I'm going to give you my word on something. I will not embarrass you. I didn't come here to humiliate anybody this morning. I want to pray for you. It's dangerous to lie to the Holy Spirit. Please don't lie to the Lord. He knows us, you see. How many people in this room today can honestly say, Preacher, if I died or Jesus came in the next 60 seconds and I stood before God, I am certain with 100% assurance that my sins have been forgiven and Jesus Christ lives in my heart. I'm not perfect, but I know truly that I've been saved. I belong to Christ. He belongs to me. There's no doubt about that. That much is settled. I'd like you to lift your hand with mine. No one else is looking. You say, I know that. Thank you. You may lower your hands. If you just raised your hand, I want you to take a minute and just thank the Lord for that right now because if it wasn't for Jesus, you couldn't say that. Now, some of you couldn't raise your hand, and I want to thank you. I really mean that. I want to thank you for not lying to me, to yourself, and to God. And I want to ask you, would you tell the truth again? Who in this room today would say, Preacher, if I met God in the next 60 seconds, had to give an account of my life, I am not 100% sure that my sins have been forgiven and that my soul has really been saved. Preacher, I'm not positive that I'm ready to go to heaven, but I am sure of this. I don't want to go to hell. Preacher, would you pray for me? I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine just long enough for me to see it. Thank you. Hold it there just a second, then you may take it down. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else like that? You say, pray for me. I'm not certain. If that's you, you may lower your hand. I want you to listen to me for just a second. Would you just listen? If you raised your hand or you didn't, but you should have, would you listen to me for a second? God loves you. I came all this way this morning to tell you God loves you just exactly like you are. Would you like to know how much he loves you? He loves you so much he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he died for your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Is that what you want? May I ask you a question or two? You don't have to speak out loud, but you can nod your head. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? That's wonderful. I'm going to give you a good verse. The Bible says if you believe that and you're willing to confess him with your mouth, thou shalt be saved. What does that mean, confess him with your mouth? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you have to stand up and give a speech to this church. It doesn't mean you've got to come up here and tell me every bad thing you've ever done. I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not between you and this church or you and me. It's between you and Jesus. Let me tell you what it means to confess with your mouth. The Bible says, whosoever, that's anybody, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? It means just like Jeremiah called out to God, if you'll call out to God and ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life, he will hear your prayer and he will save you. Do you believe that? May I ask, are you willing to put your faith in Jesus? If you are, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer this morning. Anybody in this room or anyone listening to me anywhere, you're not certain that you're saved, but you want to be saved. And you know you can't save yourself and you believe Jesus is the Savior. Would you join me in this prayer right now? I'll lead you in it. You're not talking to me, you're talking to God. Pray this from your heart to the Lord. Take this prayer, make it your own right now, would you? From your heart, would you say something like this to God? Dear God, right now, dear God, I'm a sinner If I got what I deserved, I'd go to hell forever. But I don't want to go to hell. I believe that Jesus died for me. Lord Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life. I open my heart to you. Forgive all of my sin And give me a new beginning in Christ today. I receive your free gift of eternal life. Jesus, I trust you today, once and for all, to be my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Now help me be unashamed to live for you. Our heads are bowed and nobody's looking but this preacher. I'm going to give you a verse. Are you listening? The same passage that says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved says whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. If I gave you a million dollars this morning, you wouldn't be embarrassed. You'd be excited, right? Well, if you just took Jesus as your Savior, my friend, you got something a whole lot better than a million dollars. You got something you can never spend up. It's called eternal life. And I don't think you'll be ashamed to tell me. So I want to ask right now, who in this room today would be, would be courageous enough to say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer from my heart, and I meant it. And right where I'm sitting today, once and for all, I'm settling this matter of my soul's salvation. Preacher, I'm trusting Jesus today to be my Savior, and I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I want you to raise your hand in the air with mine right now, would you please? God bless you. Thank God for that. If you just raised your hand, would you lift your head and look at me for just a second? Just look me in the eye. Thank you. I want to congratulate you on the greatest decision you ever made in your life. Will you take my word for something? The greatest day of my life was the day I put my faith in Jesus. I've made some dumb decisions, like things I regret. I've never once regretted that. I will not ask you to give a speech. We will not embarrass you. But I want someone to have a prayer with you. I'd like somebody to give you something to take home with you about knowing Jesus as your Savior and following him now. And so here's what I'm going to ask. The rest of these people don't know it. Remember I said I was going to ask everybody to respond. I'm getting ready to ask all the believers who are here to come have a prayer with me. I don't want you lost in that shuffle. If you today mean this about trusting Jesus as your Savior, I want you to get up out of your seat right now and come sit right next to the pastor right here on the front. Would you do that? Just come tell him. He's got a Bible in his hand, the love of God in his heart. God bless you, son. Anybody else, you say, I'm settling this day. Let him talk with you and pray with you right now. That's so very good. Thank God. Anybody else, you say, I trusted Jesus today. I want it to be known publicly. Just get up, come have a seat on the front, and let someone have a prayer with you and help you. Now, I want to speak to all the believers that are here. Could I speak to every Christian? How many believers in the place today would say, Preacher, I need to get back to living by faith and just obeying God I'm saved, but I'm, my Christianity is not where it needs to be. My walk with Jesus is not where it needs to be. And today, I want to just recommit myself to Christ. That's me. Would you raise your hand with mine all over this room right now? You say, that's me. God bless you. That's a lot of us. I'm going to ask you to lead the charge of this old-fashioned altar in just a second. Now, let's go a step further. How many believers in this room today would say, Preacher, there is someone on my heart right now. I can see their face. I could call their name." Somebody that I've wondered, will they ever get saved? Will they ever come home? Will it ever be right? Or there is something that I'm dealing with right now that is so big, so difficult, so hard, I know I can't fix this. But you say, preacher, what I need to do today is declare in faith again there's nothing too hard for god and i need to begin to trust and pray and believe again and see what god will do preacher i got my own thing i need to pray for and give to god that's me help me pray would you raise your hand with mine all over this room right now god bless you that's a lot of us here's what we're going to do we're not even going to have a song so that we all can pray and the only sound in the room will be the sound of people talking to the lord i'm going to count to three in just a moment church That'll be the cue. I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I'm going to ask every Christian in this place that knows God has spoken to you today from His Word. If you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come join me in this old fashioned altar. And if you can kneel, kneel. And if you can't kneel, stand. And if you can't stand, sit on the front. But if you're able, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and join me in prayer. If you physically can't leave your seat, I'm going to invite you. You may just want to stand where you are in a moment so that in reverence to God on your feet, you can make your prayer to the Lord. But for a few moments, we're going to talk to the God who's been talking to us, and we're going to confess again there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Would you bring yourself and bring your person and bring your thing to the Lord now? One, two, three. Quickly,